It's such a delight to be back here preaching, as it were, normally, live to the whole congregation. I have had a little taste of it uh, here and fortunately been able to uh, do so in other places in recent months. But it's just lovely to be back here at Hope Church Winchester in what feels like more normal circumstances. Lovely to have that time of worship, sense of God's presence there. Rightly, as Jonathan, I believe, led us to sort of bless each other, that song really touching something uh, in, our, in our connection with each other, actually, in our blessing to each other. And I want to continue in a sort of, I, I hope, a fairly profound theme, really, this morning as we look at the next in our um, uh, Paradise Loved and Lost series. And this one is Obedience in Paradise. And uh, I don't really want to delay, you know me, I like to get into the word. So let's do that straight away. And we're go- I'm going to read uh, the few verses we're looking at. I'm reading from the CSB version, uh, and I think it's going to come up on the screen. We're going to be looking at Genesis 2, and I'm going to read verses 8 and 9, and then verses uh, 15 to 17. So, starting at verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. We're going to be looking at a very deep and mysterious part of our ancient origins. But it is something that is relevant to every single one of us in this room. And is actually relevant to every human being on the planet. We're going to be learning truths in the next half an hour together about who we are as human beings, about how the world got into the state that it is in, and it isn't in a great place in many ways. And we're also going to be looking at some of the pointers to the solution to the problems we live with. I want to say right at the outside, far from this being an ancient, mysterious myth, I believe we're looking at a God-given revelation of our prehistory, given in such a way and such a form that it has continued to have resonance through thousands and thousands of years, given in a way that is understandable with a sense of narrative and impact, understandable to every generation, to every culture. But it is a reflection of profound truth. And I pray that this same God, our creator, I really pray in Jesus' name that he'll give us revelation together this morning and will speak into our hearts as we look at these few verses. So let's briefly just work our way in. What has happened here and what's going on? God made man and placed him in a garden called the Garden of Eden. Now the overall picture of the Garden of Eden is, uh, is a sort of beautiful, abundant, park-like place that seems to be a sort of divine sanctuary where God 
could meet with man. He and man, and ultimately man and woman, he and Adam and Eve ultimately walked together in the garden in the cool of the evening. It's a beautiful picture. It was a sort of heaven-earth connect point. Now the man is put in the charge of the garden in this world that God's made and he is given some clear instructions. Now the original sense, I think it's really in verse 15 that we've looked at, I think Becky looked at it last week. The original sense is that Adam is to be not only the gardener but the guardian. He's, he's, he's guarding something, he's, he's got something precious to look after as well as something to work on. And he will have a major task, which is to expand Eden and all the beauties that are in it and the presence of God across this world that God's put him in and given him a degree of responsibility and freedom in. And so the whole picture here in these verses is a, a harmony between God and man. Man created under the authority of God, but it's a loving authority. It's an intimacy. It's a relationship. It's walking together in the garden. And God has given man permission to enjoy everything he's made. He's, he's, he's actually said he's free to eat from all the beautiful trees in the garden, including the magnificent tree of life. He's free to eat that. But there is one exception. God does establish a prohibition. He said you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good, of it, good and evil, from the, from the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, the CSB correctly translates that certainly die, because sometimes, we'll see this later when you get to it, I'm sure, uh, sometimes people are like, well, you know, when they ate the tree, they didn't immediately. No, it doesn't say immediately, it's certainly. And that's the sense of the original, that that will be a turning point, death will enter, something tragic and fundamental will happen the day you eat, and it will have certain definite consequences of death the wages of sin is death so the question I want to ask this morning is pretty fundamental one really and then explore some answers to it why would God a good God place a tree in the garden of Eden like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that is a tree with a prohibition on it and a tree with the potential to cause death so why would God do that in this beautiful world, this beautiful creation, put a tree there and, he's, and he said, no, you can't eat that one, but it is there. Okay, it's under your nose, it's in the middle of the garden, but you can't eat from it. A prohibition and then linked to that, the potential to cause death. Now in answering that, I want to look at four big answers, if you like, big aspects. And each time, I want to also look at a second question. What is the relevance of this to our lives today? So sort of two questions resonating through the four points. Why did God place this tree in the garden with a prohibition attached to it? And what is the relevance of this to our lives today? And so the first thing I want to say, the first answer, if you like, is the uniqueness of humanity. These instructions clearly laid out here in the second chapter of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, are a clear indication, absolutely clear, that human beings, although they are creatures created by God, they are created uniquely in the image of God. So the other animals that God has created, all of them have amazing aspects to them, absolutely incredible. They've got respective instincts that absolutely bamboozle us and amaze us. Think of small birds that can migrate 
over thousands of miles from far down in Africa back to just your garden or to the, um, you know, to, to the cathedral or something and, and every summer come and, uh, and nest there. And you, they always come back. You think this is amazing instinct. Think of a dog's sense of smell and all sorts of things. You could go on all morning. Amazing instincts. But man was created with the ability to make moral choices. Men and women with the ability to make moral choices and to offer God love and obedience by choice, informed by reason and conscience. That was unique, and it was very important. They could choose with reason and conscience to obey God. God communicates with Adam in a very different way, by word. He gives Adam clear instructions, clear explanations, and a clear warning. He's given a divine word to live by. Now, Adam is a friend of God. Always remember that. This is not a bossy God giving him an order, mysteriously disappearing and leaving Adam scratching his head, thinking, what's this all about? No, no, he he actually walked with God every evening. There was a dynamic relationship where Adam would talk through his day with God and would draw instruction and wisdom from his God father, if you like, his father God. And that was the context. And Adam is to trust God and to live out of his relationship with God and keep demonstrating the incredible uniqueness of men and women made in the image of God. Now the animal kingdom, none of them have that same capacity. They are not given an instruction like this because it's not relevant to them. There is no element of moral choice there. There is no charge from the creator with a prohibition. The animals are contented, and more than men, as we can always see, contented if they are left to follow their instincts in their surroundings, drawing their behavior from sort of what's inborn and what's incoming, urges that are inborn and incoming, and that's how they live. But God gave Adam something different. Adam was different. He had a moral choice to make. He had words to steer his life by, words he could obey or disobey. God did not make human beings as intelligent robots. The instruction about the fruit, which he could eat and which he should not eat, is very clear, it's rational, and it's explained, and it's left to Adam to obey. He wasn't a machine. Men and women are not machines run by God. They had freedom to choose. If he chose to obey God, if he decided, uh, he could. If he decided to disobey God, he could do that also. Now, what's the relevance to us today? Well, it is absolutely massive. I think the relevance of this truth to us today is bigger than almost previous generations because we've lost such a lot of our anchorage to the truths of who we are as human beings. We are not the products of blind chance. We are not. We were specially created by God. We are not merely animals that are a bit higher evolved. We're not. There is a distinct difference. We are amazed at whales and amazed at little swallows and all the rest of it. But we are different. And we are made different. There are fundamental differences between us and the rest of the animal kingdom. We are uniquely, human beings, uniquely made in the image of God. And every individual human being is unique and important to God. 
And every human being is accountable to God. We're all accountable to God. We all have the ability to make moral choices. We are all responsible for our choices. I know this is complex. I know there are multiple layers of things that you could think about, including intelligence, background, nurture, nature, all the rest of it. But every true human being has within them the ability to make moral choices in some degree to some element, and that is why they are partly reflecting the image of God in them. And we are accountable for our choices. However damaged we are, by this sin-sick world, and a lot of people are very damaged, and it is pretty damaging, we are still individually able to make choices, and we're responsible for those choices. And brothers and sisters, we do in our day have to watch it. We live in a culture which is absolutely obsessed with victimhood, absolutely obsessed with blame-shifting, to a ridiculous degree sometimes. But the truth is, we all have the ability to make choices. We make moral choices, and we are responsible for the choices we make. And one day, all of us will give an account to our Creator, living God, for the choices we've made. That is a big truth that comes out of this. The second one, right and wrong, is a bit linked to it. God's instructions opened up the whole issue of how we make those moral choices. You see, the forbidden tree would give Adam and Eve moral experience independent, independent of their relationship with God. And that was a key issue. God gave Adam a choice. Do you choose to learn your right and wrong from me directly and out of your relationship with me? Or are you going to do it out of your own independent knowledge with no reference to me? Actual fact, all that Adam and Eve gained by eating the fruit was a knowledge of evil. Because God is all goodness. And everything was good that he had created. He didn't need any more instruction in good. What he found was evil, sadly. And bondage and death. So the issue is, will you, Adam, continue to learn your wisdom, to get your moral compass to live this way, the right way in the world and expand Eden, will you do that out of your relationship with me, your loving Father and Creator, or will you do it and try to do it out of your own independent judgment and try to be God with a small g? Now, this is still an issue which is fundamental and relevant to us today because by disobeying God's command, Adam and Eve chose to take them to themselves the right, if you like, to choose right and wrong, to make all their moral choices. And as you know, it did not go well and it continues not to go well. They introduced sin into humanity. Now that will come in greater detail in a later talk, I'm sure. But that is essentially a sort of pollution. That's a very vivid way to think of it. Pollution that just gets everywhere. It's not as bad everywhere as it is in some places, if we're thinking of the whole of humanity, but it sort of pollutes everything. And it's, the taste is everywhere, is everywhere. Sin is certainly acts, bad acts, which we can all recognize, evil things, hurtful things, destructive things. But it's fundamentally an attitude or attitudes. And they're attitudes that we are all guilty of, including 
all of us standing here today, including myself, naturally, we, there are attitudes. Attitudes like defiance against God telling us what to do, an attitude of determination to do it my way alone, selfishness, you could add greed, lust, envy, hatred, falsehood, rage, rebellion. These attitudes are where the acts come from. Now, the acts of evil vary in severity. Of course they do. Thank God we're not all, you know, serial killers or whatever we might say in, in any, any area at all. The, the acts vary, but the attitudes are there. The attitudes are there. The root is there because it comes out of this turning our back on God. And the issue of the tree then is still so relevant to us. And I even speak to us as Christians, believers who've tried, to, I have accepted the, the forgiveness God's given, which we'll briefly talk about before I finish. But the, the question still resonates. Are we going to submit to God and God's word as our guide about how we make our moral choices? Or are we going to de be determined to decide for ourselves, just on the basis of what suits us? And it's important to realize that God still lives that freedom there, including for us as believers, followers of Jesus. It is possible for us to choose to obey or disobey the Holy Spirit, the Bible, the Word of God, how we live, to please ourselves and think, well, we'll decide, or to say, no, Lord, I submit to you. And actually, although that doesn't any longer bring eternal death, it does bring an element of death into life. It brings something of, the, of Satan back in. He can get a foothold, a landing place, as we're told in Ephesians, because we're not moving in our relationship with God. We're moving independent of that. And um, Galatians, I haven't got time to look at it, but Galatians 6, verses 7 and 10, written to Christians, says, be careful what you sow in your life because you will reap in it, out of it. Now, it's not really just about whether I go to heaven or not at all, but in our daily lives, we choose, brothers and sisters, are we going to obey God here or are we going to just go our own way and do what suits us and what we think's best for us? Because those choices are important and there is, as it were, still death and life in the choice. There's still a sowing and a reaping element that we experience. Even as Christians, we can sin and we can turn our back on God and suffer as a consequence. The old habits die hard. So let's move on to our next one. Trust and obedience. Adam had a wonderful life in Eden and he had an amazing liberty. It really was pretty boundless. There was just one prohibition, as we know, and he had to humble himself to trust God about that. He had to trust that what God said, don't eat of that tree, was good for him. He knew God was a good God. Now, actually, it was good for him. There was a protection. If you don't eat of that, you'll be much more blessed, much better. You'll have life. You can keep eating from the tree of life forever. But actually, if you eat of it, there is danger and destruction. Your death will come into you. Now, it was pretty clear. It was a bad thing to do. But he had to trust God on that. The rest of the time, he had utter freedom. And remember, the whole thing was not in a vacuum. He had a relationship with God. He could talk things out. So Adam should have chosen two simple words, trust and obey. Trust God and obey him. Now, when I was a kid, we used to sing a chorus, trust and obey, for there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. I could sing it to you, but time does not permit. (laughs) Don't be too disappointed. But actually, there is a profound truth there. The relationship with God, Adam's and ours, have those fundamentals in, in, in common. The key to success and blessing and hope and freedom and life is to keep trusting and obeying God. And yes, it probably was a test. There was an element of test to this. Is this real trust? Is this real faith? You see, real faith always has an element of works. Yes, it works out. It has fruit. Real trust has evidence. And God had given Adam an opportunity to prove that he trusted him, prove that he was walking in faith with his father and creator. Just to trust him and not do what he said not to do and do what he said to do, which was masses he was free to do. So he was going to trust and obey, or at least that's what he should have done. And that's what real faith continues to be, brothers and sisters. It always has the obedience element. It's never divorced. They're not two separate things. If you really believe and trust and obey, have faith in God, you will obey him. Jesus said that. He said, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you. And that's absolute fact. It's just common sense if you really think about it. Real faith is always evidenced. And if there's no evidence, there's no faith. Faith without works is dead, as James said. So let's move on to a last one. I want to talk about covenantal relationship. And I've I'm not going to have any length of time on this, but I'm going to have to give you a little explanation because you need to get the best out of this. I believe there is something precious here for all of us. This tree in the garden said something about the way God chose to relate to men and women. This story illustrates the covenantal aspect of God's relationship to people. And it has echoed through history. God relates to human beings covenantally. If you read your Bible, it's a huge subject. You can find covenants with, uh, obviously, Adam, I've talked about, Noah, Abraham, Israel, David, and the new covenant. By the way, if anybody's in dispute about that, I'm not sure they're not, because you all know I tell you the truth. But you could look at uh, Hosea 6-7. I think I might put it on the screen. And it just draws this out. It says about Israel, who've broken their covenant with God, a different one. But they, like Adam, have violated the covenant. They have betrayed me. That's God speaking. So there was a covenantal relationship between Adam and God. And here's the important thing for you to bear in mind right now. There is a covenantal relationship available in our age as well. And that's why it's going to be very relevant to us if we can get it. Covenants are formal binding relationships, commitments rooted in their ideal. They are rooted in love and mutual commitment and mutual trust. And the breaking of them brings life or brings death, uh, brings destruction. Now, covenants then are based on the integrity of word and a commitment to one another based on what you've promised. The nearest we have left in our culture to a proper covenant is the traditional Christian marriage covenant. And I say those words all deliberately. The traditional Christian marriage covenant. And that is fast being dissolved and undermined even as we speak. 
in the last 20, 30 years, even more than the previous 20, 30 years. So it's hard to quite for us to understand, but if you can bear in mind what's said at a classic traditional Christian marriage, you've got some idea what a real covenant is, where you share your resources with each other, where you commit your life to each other, where you say, your life is my life, my life is your life, you know, only death can part us, etc. Now, God's covenants... And God loves them because they are based on the integrity of his word. His covenants are always sovereignly administered. That is, God lays down the terms, just like he does to Adam. You can say why, but you can't change it. You can accept it, you can reject it, you can't alter it. God does not let you barter and bargain over his covenants. He lays it out, and then you have to accept it or reject it. Now, the terms are clear, and they are full of blessings but they also contain warnings, life and death. Covenants, God's covenants, always have an Emmanuel principle. That is, I will be with you. I will be your covenant friend. I will protect you. I will bless you. And this does here. God's covenants require, and here we link in with the last point, faith and obedience and response from us on our side of it. Now, God's covenants also, last point, have a focus a focus. And the focus for Adam was this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By, eat, by not eating from the tree, Adam and Eve would demonstrate their acceptance of the terms of the wonderful, glorious creation covenant God had set out for them. And it would focus on just don't eat that tree and the blessings are yours, everything will be for you. And they would equally show that they were breaking that covenant and not interested in and defying it when they ate from the tree. Now, the tree was in the middle of the garden, along with the tree of life. So it's very obvious. You, I don't know how they operated, but pretty well they would have seen it every day, I assume. So they were constantly aware of the covenant with God and of their responsibilities. Okay, what's the relevance to us? Last few minutes, vital few minutes for everybody in the room. There is a huge relevance. We also live in a covenant age. We live in God's new covenant age. You can read it in the New Testament and find out all about it. We live in the age where God is dealing with all humanity across the planet on the basis of the new covenant. Now, the new covenant was brought in by God's son, Jesus Christ. When he came, born of the Virgin Mary, lived among us, taught, acted, healed, performed miracles, died on the cross, that tragic, awful death, and rose again. And that brought the whole thing in. Now, Adam's covenant focused on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I just say to you, there's no evidence that that tree looked, they were all beautiful, remember? We've read it. That looked any massively different. It probably was a nice-looking tree from what Eve said later, but it was sort of just a tree, but it focused everything simply and profoundly. Now, our covenant, and hear this, please, our covenant is also, by God's sovereign administration, focused on a tree. And that tree is the cross that Jesus Christ died on. Everything focuses on that. Say, how can you say that about the world? It's exactly the same as Eden and creation. Why have we, in the end, does the whole thing hang on a tree? When there's thousands of plants and possibly hundreds of trees, but that one focused the whole thing. Well, that's how it is in our day. There is no other name 
given amongst men by which we can be saved, but in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Across the planet, Hindu, Buddhist, Islam, any Muslim, any other race, no race, atheist, any other, there is one tree that matters, the cross of Jesus. There is no other way to come to the Father but through Jesus Christ. I am not being negative about other religions. I am desperate that men and women of every creed and culture and class and age and race understand there is a wonderful blessing of the new covenant, but you only get it through Jesus Christ. You only get it by putting faith in the cross that Jesus died. Coming and saying, that tree was for me. The question resonates through our culture, resonates through our world, is what will you do with Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Somebody said, well, people don't know about Jesus. Well, let's tell them then. That's the missionary thrust. That's what we're commissioned to do. That's what Matthew 28 is all about. We're supposed to be telling them. Because there is no other hope. In this age, God has said, this tree, the cross, is what it's all about. What will you do about that? Are you going to trust in what my son did there? Are you going to receive all the blessings, all the magnificent promises that come through, in and through, yes and amen, in Jesus Christ? Or are you going to try and do it your way? Are you going to do what Adam and Eve did, which is say, well, we'll sort it out for ourselves, thank you very much. Well, it didn't go well. And it won't go well. There is, you can't earn God's favor. You can't work your way back. All religions are sort of the same. They're all different ways of trying to put it right by our own efforts, including Christianity sadly often reflects it. But the answer isn't that. It's faith in Jesus. Because you can't put it right your own way. It's too big a mess. You're in too big a mess. I'm in too big a mess. If I could put it right today, what about the last 70 years which weren't right? That's me, not you. (laughs) No, no, no. I can't go back and rewire that. No, I need the blood of Jesus to cleanse me from sin. This is my tree. This is in our day and age, and it reverses everything that Adam did wrong. It brings back knowledge, moral balance, choice as we walk in the Spirit and don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. As we trust God, as we hear Jesus' words and obey them, as we receive the blessings and the promises that come, we, get, we begin to taste Eden again, and we're going to go beyond Eden. We gain more than Adam ever lost. But it is a covenant age. And it does hang on an unusual, perhaps rather undramatic, perhaps rather puzzling thing. The cross of Jesus Christ. Are you going to be humble enough to accept it? Adam wasn't. God's beautiful tree and there's one of them, which is also beautiful, but it's just one of them, which he can't eat from. And he is not going to do it. And we'll hear about that another day. But are you prepared? So what about all the other religions? Are you prepared? You're here today and you've heard about Jesus. Are you prepared to commit your life to Jesus Christ? I leave you with that. What are you going to do about Jesus? I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask the band to come up because I've got to go. I'm already nearly late. I'm not quite. I'm, I'm going to ask you to think, what am I going to do about Jesus? Because it's the question of our age. It's your Adam moment. Honestly, it is. It's your Adam and Eve moment. Don't worry about, well, well, how does this fit in with this and that? Forget that. You live now. 
And in your age, there is a tree for you to think about. And it's the tree of Calvary. It's Jesus dying for you, bearing your sins in his body on the cross. And brothers and sisters as Christians, I'm so glad we break bread more frequently now. I, I, as a church leader, was poor on this. And I think we need to break bread more often. That's why we're told, do it as often as you can, do it as often as you meet. Because it reminds us that it all focuses on the cross. It all focuses on this tree. It's like Adam having the tree in the middle of the garden. Every day, he was aware of his relationship with God and what it, what it was about, what it focused on. I want us the same. As we break. We're not breaking bread this morning. You will next week, I think, well, some week. But you can do it at home in house groups, small groups. But let's remember what Jesus did for us. Can I just pray for you? Let's stand together and I'll, I'll leave you. But Lord, Lord Jesus, I so thank you that I live now. I thank you, Lord, I live in the new covenant age. I thank you, Father, that your relationship with us is a, a, is a one of grace and mercy and restoration and hope and life. But it is all about your son, Jesus. It is all about the cross, the tree that he hung on. And Lord, that focuses everything you want to say about it to us this morning. What are you going to do about my son, Jesus? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to put your faith in him? You're going to live your life obeying him? Lord, I want to. What's left of it? I want to obey you. I pray, Lord, that you would touch every heart, young people, old people. Lord, touch us this morning. Help us remember it's all about Jesus. Help us to remember, Lord, that this tree is the one that matters to us. And we want to say, I believe everything you've said about that tree. I believe everything you said about that cross, everything, that it was all my sins were removed, that all my judgment went, that I have new life and new hope because of what Jesus did there. I believe what you say about it, Father in heaven. And I'm going to live in the light of that. Help us, Lord. Help us live daily aware of it. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.